show. A lot of conversations that sure do flow. Local comedians, man, you need to see them, baby. So check out Lynn's show. Welcome to another episode of You Have a Lot of Options. I, of course, am your uh, host, Lynn Navratil. Uh, please hit like, subscribe, uh, leave a comment in Apple Podcasts, leave a rating on Spotify Podcasts. Uh, I don't know what Google or Anchor Anchor has, so uh, do whatever they're telling you to do. If it's good, do it. If it's bad, don't do it. Pretty simple rules right there, guys. Uh, we have a very special guest today. No, uh, is not a comic. No, it is not a uh, person who plays... Well, she did play music at one point she played the flute i believe uh, and sang and sang okay she she has more musical talent than i will ever have uh she is half of the reason i am here but uh all of the reason that i started being a comedian uh she is also the person who i live with the longest so far uh <laughs> my first my first roommate and my uh i don't know how else to describe it but my mom hi miss frankie Navertel. hi mom hi <laughs> <laughs> okay uh first of all how are you doing today I'm doing all right so far. I'm so glad we got to do this. <laughs> Good. Uh, the, now, the question that we've all been wondering, everyone listening to this, is why didn't you get the abortion? We're all wondering. Oh, stop <laughs> well, you know, what can I say? I was 37, and the decision I made at 37 was way different than the decision that I would have made in college, which, you know, I remember standing with a boyfriend making the phone call. Because you didn't have home kits, you had to go to Planned Parenthood, and the decision I would have made then if the rabbit had died is very different from this time. So. <laughs> all my all my brothers and sisters in heaven right now looking down, why couldn't you have been 37? <laughs> hey, if I could have had a whole house full of you, I would have. Uh, everyone listening to this right now is praying that there was not a universe with a whole household of me. <laughs> uh, but, so, you asked me, I've been kind of wanting to do this for a little bit, and uh, you asked me for Mother's Day, uh, can this be my Mother's Day gift, is we do a podcast, and I, thinking, okay, now I don't have to get you a gift, I will still get you a gift. <laughs> yes, you still have to get me a gift. I uh, <laughs> thought this was perfect, but is there a particular reason that you wanted me to interview you, out of all people, or, like, just be on this? Well, I'm, first of all, I knew you were doing the podcast, but it was just here recently, I knew you'd been doing them for a while. That I said, how do I find your podcast? And, you know, I, I just handed you my phone and you put it on there. So now I've been listening to them. And the last, I do it while I'm working out, laying on the floor, doing my stretches and stuff. And it sounds like you're really having a good time. And I, I enjoy talking with you. I have since you were little bitty and watching your brain work and all that stuff. But the main reason that I wanted to do this is I want to rebut all the smack you've been talking about us on this <laughs> podcast. It is a lot. Uh, <laughs> and speaking of smack, guys, she's told me her favorite so far. I'm not going to name names, but ooh, they rhyme with Baron Naylor and <laughs> Manel Manx. Uh, let me just say that right now. Uh, <laughs> Actually, it's been a lot of fun listening to him because some of the comics I know, like Mick Rice, all, mm -hmm. I've known him since you guys first met. And 
it's been fun because you guys really get to laugh and I don't mind listening to your laugh, but I'm your mom. So, you know, that's maybe part of it. But it's been really interesting to hear how you ask about people's stories and where they started and all that stuff. And these people just lay their lives out in front of you. It's been really interesting. I'm listening to this, especially Mix was like one of the most, I don't know, it was powerful and kind of heart-wrenching. And I'm going, oh my God, I had no idea how how hard things were for you. And it's been real interesting to listen to them. Uh, I do. I've always said I have that kind of face people just want to tell all their problems to. Uh, mostly because I think it's very uh, a happy face and very, very, infor- I'll take information in, but I won't retain it, so I won't judge them. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm one of those kind of people, too, where I always, people have always talked to me about stuff. And I think you know, because I've always been 30 inside. When I was 16, I was 30 inside. When I was 30, I was 30 inside. Now, I'm still 30 inside. But it's, people talk to you. And people just want to talk. They want somebody to listen to. I think that's part of it. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I can't relate to the 30 part, but I can relate to feeling like I've always been 12. So, mm-hmm. I understand. <laughs> but uh, the part that you bring up about people kind of lay their lives out to me actually is a pretty good transition to give a little bit of background on you, obviously. Obviously, you're my mom, but before you were a mom, you were a lawyer. Still so, am. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she still is a lawyer. She, to give you an idea, guys, she's been a lawyer longer than she's been a mom, which is... That's a weird statement to say out loud. Now I think about that. For, 40 years. 40 years. That is, uh, that's a long time to do anything. It is. I never thought, we all talk about it. The people I went to school with, the ones of us who are still alive, are, we talk about that. It's like, did you ever think you'd be doing something for 25 years, 30 years, 40 years? And no. I mean, you just, when you're your age, you don't think about that. You think maybe two, three years ahead, but you don't think about being 60 or 64 like I am. You just don't think about it. Well, it's probably a good thing. No, it, it's, it's, I'm not reaching that milestone, but this will be my eighth year doing comedy and saying, no, and saying that out loud is a very weird thought because I've only been good at it for three years. Oh, stop. <laughs> stop that. Stop that. The, I mean, and I've heard you talk about that, that's your first time at the, um, Oh, the fundraiser. No, not just that, but the first couple of times when you did it at Winnetonka. Hi, Dad. He's here. He brought the pizza. We're good. Uh, (laughs) Half of us was telling him to be quiet, and the other half was like, get in on this. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'm telling him to be quiet. I'm just telling him to get in here with the pizza. (laughs) So, anyhow, your first couple of ones, you were good, and it was it was real apparent that you wanted to do that. But ever since you were little, I mean, when you were about three feet high, you've been telling jokes. You came home from the babysitters, and you were so little, and you could barely talk. And you were telling three, waiter, there's a fly in my soup jokes. Do you remember those jokes? Uh, <laughs> I, I wish I didn't. Uh <laughs> I don't, I don't remember, I, I, I bet I could remember them if I thought really hard, but I don't remember them off well, the Well, there's, um, waiter, there's a, what is this fly doing in my soup? 
And you would stand there like you're a little waiter with a little towel over your arm going, uh, it appears he's doing the backstroke, sir. Waiter, waiter, um, there's a fly in the potato salad. Why is there a fly in my soup? Oh, there was no room in the potato salad. <laughs> and then you would, the third one was, waiter, waiter, uh, there's a fly in my soup. And you would go, shh, be very quiet or everyone will want one. So, I mean, you did it. You came home the first day and you did them boom, boom, boom with the voices and everything. And I fell on the floor laughing. I mean, it was so funny. So you've been doing stand-up since you were maybe three and a half. So, and I mean, then, of course, uh, we'd buy you joke books for Christmas and things like that. Mm-hmm. So... You've been telling jokes and saying once you knew what Saturday Night Live was, you always said you wanted to be on that, too. So I just said, okay, fine, whatever. You know, just remember you got to support yourself and your family. And, you know, whether that's you or you and a cat or you and a wife and kids, hey, you know, just be able to support yourself. And you are. I'm so proud. (laughs) It turns out it's been a wife and cat so far. Uh (laughs) That's great. It's wonderful. Uh, I will say the memory i've told i think i've told a lot on this podcast is the the chicken sucker memory where oh I, my god i haven't heard you talk about that but um yeah that one was so funny because you know the old comics always the vaudeville comics had a rubber chicken they would come up and pull it out of their pockets or it would pull out somewhere and we were at Independence Center, and there was a candy store called Mr. Bulky's. And my mom was still alive, and we were walking around, and she adored you. And she's like, let me go in there and pick out any, any candy you want. I'll buy it. And you went around and around and around, just like that thing, a kid in a candy store, round and around and around. And what you finally selected was a big sucker that had a rubber chicken. It was stuck in the butt of a rubber chicken. And my mom looked at you and looked at me and said, is that what he wants? That's what he wants? I'm like, yeah, sure. So you got that. And that's what you got. Mom bought it for you. And then as soon as you finished the sucker, I took it off because it was Christmas time. I Mm. took it off, washed it off, put, wrapped some garland around it and hung it on the Christmas tree. And it goes on the Christmas tree anytime the Christmas tree goes up. So the, the moral of that story is you'll know early on, but the real uh, substance. The real message of that story is: even as a little kid, I was an idiot because I chose one thing uh, <laughs> with a grandma that wanted to spend money. Uh, and, and I think I think that one is what really comes across. Okay, but this is not about me. This is about you. Uh, so when did so even from like an early age, you knew that I something was up and I was going to like probably do something with comedy because I wouldn't shut up about it. Was well, I remember when when we were, when you were little, it was just you and I. And there was a lot of driving for work to the sitter, back and forth. And I would put in cassette tapes. Remember what cassette tapes were? It's not that I don't care. I don't know what Spotify is. I don't care. I'm not going through another di- another media. You know, I've been through albums, cassette tapes, and now CDs. I'm not doing pod stuff. I'm not putting my music on the cloud. But anyhow, so we had little, (laughs) 
I'm looking. Spotify and cloud are two different things, but we'll get to that later. You uh, got it. <laughs> I, I don't care. Don't care. That being said, someone please sponsor this. Anywho. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, if Mr. Bulky's was still a place, maybe we could hit them up. But Mr. Bulky, I'm pretty sure you passed away, but come on. Uh, <laughs> no, there's never been a candy store in uh, being run by someone named Mr. Bulky that I thought that's that's the fitness. That's a fitness place. <laughs> well, you bought your candy in bulk there. You know, big pounds of candy at a time. But anyhow, I used to have cassette tapes of, you know, Sesame Street and Disney books on tapes and everything. And I was so sick of listening to them all. I had them all memorized. And I even had cool stuff, you know, like I had one that had Little Richard singing Itsy Bitsy Spider. Mm -hmm. And, but I was just so tired of the kids' musics. And I had just found a Jeff Foxworthy CD or um, cassette tape at a garage sale for a quarter. And I thought, hey, this is clean. He doesn't cuss. And it's not Burton and Ernie. Oh, my God. So I shoved that in. Um, I just took that out and shoved the Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy in. And you went, what is this? And you were laughing at his jokes. Cause, and sometimes I had to explain him a little bit. Because you were, you were four, maybe five. <laughs> you see, Lynn, a redneck is somebody we don't talk to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's somebody who's not very savvy about things. So anyhow, and you were like, wait, there are people laughing. Yes, there's an audience. What do you mean there's an audience? So I explained. He was standing up in front of the people. And then when I got a CD, I showed you. And you went, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I want to do that. I want to do that. I was like, I can tell jokes. Okay. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. So, and then as you got older, I had all kinds of comedy albums and now comedy CDs and introduced you to George Carlin and... You got in trouble because you took a George Carlin book to elementary school. And it's like, well, yeah, I gave it to him. Do you know he had this book? Yeah, I know. I gave it to him. In retrospect, looking back, I don't think I got in trouble because I took a George Carlin book to school. I think I got in trouble because he, on the cover, he was at the Last Supper and they had photoshopped him instead of Jesus. Uh, I, in retrospect, looking back on it, I get it. I don't agree with it, but I get it. <laughs> but I also think um, that it was that there was cussing in the book. And you had, you know, because he has this thing about words and he doesn't care about cussing and he he really broke a lot of ground on that and so i think it was that as much as anything too that they didn't think it was appropriate for elementary school it's like he's reading why do you care which uh speaking of what's not appropriate guys stop reading the hunger games it is getting scary out there (laughs) (laughs) but the re so and i think about this a lot and i bring this up to other people is that i would not, I don't want to say dumb enough, but foolish enough to just say as a young kid, like, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stick to it. And you've always said that, and I think I get from you, because you've always said that at a certain point, you said, I want to be a lawyer, and you just stuck to it. Where did that come from? Well, I remember sitting in a civics class one time, and they were explaining the system, and I thought, wow, the lawyers and the judges are the ones who can really make things work right or really mess things up. So that's kind of where I thought. And then I thought, oh, I can be Bette Midler. I could be a singer. Well, maybe I can be a choir teacher. And so then I went to the conservatory of music. You had to audition and everything. I did that for a year and a half till they asked me to leave. Mm. So <laughs> I know. But that's all right. If I'd worked hard at it, I could have been a mediocre choir teacher. 
But as it is, I'm a really good lawyer, mm-hmm. and I've helped lots of people and done lots of stuff and got to meet a lot of people, and it made me a, a good enough living that I could have a little house and not have to work full-time after you were born. Mm-hmm. You know, well, let me rephrase that. When I told people that I was only working part-time, I'd say, oh, I'm only working about 40 hours a week. And they go, no, that's full-time. No, it's not. When you're a self-employed lawyer running your own practice, you're working 60, 65 hours a week, easy, sometimes more. But I felt, you know, like I had really done something that I never had to put you in adventure club and I could come to school or I could go to your stuff. I hardly ever had to miss any of your things. I tell a lot of people that I sat on the bench for four years on football. My mom and dad were cheering me on the whole way there. Yep. Uh, they were saying, God damn it, boy, warm that bench. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> yeah, hold that <laughs> Hold that offensive lineman's jockstrap, boy. Good job. And for just as many years after that, we will look at it and be cold and rainy outside during football season and go, aren't you glad we don't have to go to the game tonight? (laughs) (laughs) But there, because it it was never just as simple as just you being a lawyer. Because I I would tell people, like, what my parents did. Like, I would go to school, like, the, like, first day or whatever. I'd be like, oh, my mom's a lawyer. My dad works at a doctor's office. And everyone would just kind of look at me and be like, we've seen your house. Your mom's not a lawyer, dude. I'm like, no, it's a perfectly nice house. My mom just likes to spend time with me. And every one of the kids was like, why? And I was like, (laughs) well, because they were just like, well, we thought lawyers made money. I'm like, she does make money. She just likes spending time with me. At what point did you say, I need... Because you you brought up for a second earlier, but you said it was just me and you early on. At what point were you like, I need to be there for him? Well, the I had been married. I got married between first and second year in law school. And he got to the point where it was just like, you know, stop thinking like a lawyer. I can't. They change it. Law school changes how you look at the world. You learn to get in and cut through stuff and just get to the heart of the matter and then learn to ask the important questions and not get lost in the woods. Now, this is not to say that every lawyer doesn't do that, but so I had been practicing law, had been on my own. I'd been a a part-time prosecutor. I was teaching. I was doing all kinds of things. And I got divorced from my first husband, started having a really good time. At one point, I was dating three different guys, and all my girlfriends are going, how are you getting three different guys to show up at your door and bring you flowers and candy? It's like, I don't know. It's just happening. I'm having a good time. Uh, My mom was having a hot girl summer, and nobody judge her for it. Please. (laughs) Please judge me. I (laughs) I did terrible things. I had a good time. Life is too short not to have a good time. Just make sure you're careful. (laughs) You haven't told anybody about, have you talked on the podcast about what Santa used to bring you in your Christmas stocking? Oh, uh, I think I did bring it up once or twice, but uh, Santa made sure that I was protected and that I had my condoms. Yes, Uh, Santa was no fool. uh, Santa would bring me magnums too, and I was like, this is overconfidence right now. Well, you usually had an assortment of sizes because I don't know. You know, I didn't have an answer to that question until you got really drunk at graduation. Yeah, fun times. (laughs) Woo! 
<laughs> uh, I didn't know what to do with them either. I was just blowing them up and making them balloon animals too. Just like, hey, it's a, a giraffe. Enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I also heard much later that you were the condom supplier for all your little friends too. Yeah, so. <laughs> uh, every one of you that's not pregnant right now, you are welcome. Uh, <laughs> no, so anyhow, I was out having good times and I was um, bowling. I was in a bowling league, you know, because when you're single, you have that kind of time. And I met one of the guys who was substituting, and it was the friends who gave your podcast, Mike. They had brought this guy in, and I met him, and he seemed nice, and he was really adamant. And he asked me to go out to Stevie Nicks, and I said, okay, fine. You know, uh, you want to go to a concert? You got tickets? That's fine. He didn't, but he went and bought tickets right away because he thought that would be okay, fine. So anyhow, we go out. And I, I met him. We started dating. I really liked him. I didn't realize that if I had looked at his driving record like I did with a lot of the other guys, I would never gone out with him because he had a DUI. So anyhow, push come to shove, that year that I met your bio dad was the year that I made the most money I'd ever made. I had a little bitty lake house you know, over on Lake Wacomas, but it was a little bachelorette pad. It was nice. And I was working on it, repairing it, and I had a Porsche 924. So I was having a blast. And then I showed up, I was like, ha <laughs> Well, no, my back was hurting. So I thought, I got to go to the doctor. And when you're a woman, the first thing they always do when they think you might have to have an x-ray is they give you a pregnancy test. And the doctor went in the door, came in the door and went, uh, you're pregnant. You're really pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Which only a doctor can say Say, uh, to anybody. And I really like this doctor and she and I had been together for quite a while. And I just went, oh, does that explain the back aches? Yes, yes, it does. Okay, fine. That also explains the cravings I've been having for Egg McMuffins. And because I had one day, I ate two Egg McMuffins back to back. And said, okay, fine. So that's when I realized things had to change, just immediately. I mean, I just knew my life was different. And I made some big sacrifices, and one of which was telling your bio dad to hit the bricks, sober up or hit the bricks. I don't live in that little lake house anymore. I found a little house that had a fence backyard. I almost, well, that took a while. That took a year and a half to move out of that house. And then almost immediately I got rid of the Porsche, traded it even up for an escort station wagon. I do remember that car. <laughs> I, 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 even at a young age, I was like, okay, this is not what I was in before. Uh. <laughs> you know, and then during the pregnancy, I was and I hate this, I was 37, so once you're over 35, it's advanced maternal age. It's a senior pregnancy. It's like, bite me. You know, it's like, hey, but I had to go on bed rest. Like that last month, I was totally working from home before anybody was working from home, Mm -hmm. and people were covering for me, and it's like, Hey, nothing matters. I gave up Pepsi for for the entire time I knew I was pregnant. And, and those of you who know Lynn and how he is about Coca-Cola, I am the same way about Pepsis. He got it honestly. It's just we've always been a divided household. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> this is revealing in a lot because everything that everyone hates about me, I probably got it from my mom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, I will say the move to ask someone to go to something and they say yes and not have the thing 
uh, I apparently got from my bio dad because <laughs> I have done that move with Sierra a lot. Uh, of saying, like, hey, you want to go to this? And hoping she says yes, but then when she does say yes, I'm like, fuck, I gotta go get this. <laughs> <laughs> I love Sierra so much. You did so good. Hans, I, you did so good. She's so wonderful. She really is, Lynn. No, she's wonderful. And again, I take no credit for it. I was just there. I said, hey, you're hot. Do you please love me? And she said, okay. And I <laughs> continue to do that daily. But so you move out of the lake house. You come, You find the new home. And then, because there's... I will say, going back when... I don't think it's considered a older pregnancy necessarily now. It, it there no, are, yeah, it is. Well, there's still some risk, but twenty. You know, carry the five, move the six, ooh, the do the substitute the eight. Twenty-seven years ago, thirty-seven was risky, but now people are having babies in their late thirties more often. Sometimes even into their forties. It's a if I mean I wouldn't recommend it, people, but it can be done. But the the more, to me, the hardest part of that is not just, like, having a baby at 37, but now you have a kid and you're by yourself. Talk about that a little bit, because a lot of people do, I don't want to say they do rate, have, like, split households, but a lot of people don't understand, like, they understand how hard it is to do it by themselves, but they don't understand how hard it is to do it by well, themselves. see, I was really fortunate in that... I was 37 and I had a I had a career, I had a job, and I had some resources. And the other thing that I had were all of my girlfriends. Oh my god, Lynn. And you've referred to your aunts and they were my that's my girlfriends. You know, I have four or five really good friends who had kids and had raised kids or were raising kids and that you grew up with and I mean they're your cousins. You have cousins, but you know, their daughters and sons are your family members. And I'm so grateful for that because they were the ones who kind of patted my head and said, it'll be all right and you'll be fine. And they were there and threw me showers and then were there after you were born. Well, I mean, Mary saw you, Aunt Mary saw you before I did. She was there in the delivery room. And so, yeah, I've been really fortunate to have good friends. And for the first couple of years, we went to my mom's house, we went to their houses, and the grocery store. And that was, or maybe Walmart. That's all we ever did because it was just so hard. And how the women who don't have the help and don't have the resources do it, those women are all heroes. Those parents are all heroes. I don't say just women because I know that there are men that do it as well. It's hard. And you don't sleep, you know, and you, some of the women I know, they don't eat. Their kids eat. We never had to worry about that. But, you know, that was one of the advantages of being older, being, being an older parent, is I had the resources, you know, and I had the sense to ask for help. And that was really hard for me to do. I never, I was very independent. But when you came along, it was like, I needed help. I needed somebody to pat me on the head and tell me it was fine. And then those are the people that were there to check on us. So there was one night when a tornado came through and it hit John Cheesick's and, you know, how they show on the, it destroyed a car dealership and it was right on the line to come right by where we live. And 
I always stay up. And so I got up, I grabbed you, and I ran to the basement, took the phone. And as I'm running down the stairs, my mom's calling, going, hey, are you guys in the basement? There's a tornado coming. Yes, we're in the basement. I hang up the phone. The phone rings again. It's another of my girlfriends going, hey, are you in the basement? Yes, we're in the basement. Another, it's like three people, four people called. This is middle of the night, but they're all calling. Are you in the basement? Are you in the basement? So... I've been really fortunate that I've had a lot of really good friends who've kept an eye on us and helped us out. I love the idea they're patting you on the head, just telling you, it's okay, he's going to stop telling jokes at some point. Don't worry, he will stop soon. And boy, oh boy, did I not. But essentially, the It Takes a Village was in session at that point. To... Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, your first, you went to court with me in Gladstone at six weeks. And I mean, you've gone to court with me. You've gone to classes with me when I was teaching. You know, I brought you everywhere. And, or I had some place to leave you. And it's, I think that's how a parent should be. You should be with your kids. Mm-hmm. And I know that some of your, your friends in school are going, why are you know, why does she care? It's like, because that's what I think you should do. You know, I I made a decision that I wasn't going to give you a big fancy house and a whole bunch of money, but I was going to give you stability. And I mean, you remember one house, and I was going to give you us. And then when Mark came along, that's us, you know, family and as much as I could, and stability, and wrap you in that. Yeah, and I appreciate that, and I I also appreciate being able to uh, go into school late and tell my teachers I was in court, and then they take me to the principal's office and question me. <laughs> uh, I got some looks, and then I go back to class, and all the kids are like, what would you do? Like, I fucking killed somebody. What do you think I did? <laughs> well, I remember saying one to you, saying to you one time, it's take your kid to work day. You want to go? He's like, no, mom, I've been to court enough. I don't need to go anymore. I know what you do, and I don't really care. (laughs) I've spent too much time in a jail cell. (laughs) But do you, I don't really know how to get into this, but do you credit saying I want stability for me as like a way of saying like, hey, like my family was a little bit more hectic growing up. I want to be able to give him like an easier like household. Well, the house that I grew up in, my mom stayed home until I was out of the house. And my dad, my stepdad, was at the time it's manic it was manic depressive and now it's bipolar, but for most of his life he wasn't diagnosed. He would be fine, had a great union job. You know, we had a small house, and they had a boat, and but he would every so often just run high, is what we called it, because he was a manic, of mm-hmm. a manic depressive or bipolar. And then, you know, days and days without sleep, and we'd all be trying to chase him around, and he went to the, the mental hospital mm, several times. And, I mean, not just for 96 hours. No, he went for weeks at a time. And I remember one Christmas where... Mom said, I don't know, I'm not going to be able to pay Santa Claus for Christmas this year because Dad's sick and he's in the hospital. And so I just don't know what we're going to do for Christmas. And it was like a couple of days later, all of my mother's friends showed up with 
you know, a Christmas tree and stuff. And I remember one of the guys bringing in cases of canned corn and canned green beans and toys all wrapped up and Barbies and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was a little chaotic at times, but, you know, they tried to have it. I just, I've seen so many things in my practice. I didn't do family law, but I saw a lot of people whose lives were chaotic and, you know, they got into all kinds of trouble because their families weren't stable. So you came along, it's like, we're going to be as stable as we can, you know, and then you don't have your dad because I told him, you can see him anytime you're sober. Well, guess what? He was never sober. He saw you one time when you were a baby, and that was it. So he never sobered up enough. So I wanted very much to have a stable place for you. And, you know, I tried very hard. I I never dated for like the first four years of your life. I didn't date. Well, not that you knew about it. Sometimes you'd go stay the night with somebody and I'd call a friend and he'd come over, but you never met him. Okay, so. cool. I'm glad. <laughs> glad I didn't meet him. Kind of sad that I know that now, but okay. Like I said, mom's hot girl summer continued uh, into the winter, fall, and spring. Oh, uh, I was cute and adorable when I was younger. So. <laughs> I'm still waiting for my cute and adorable phase. <laughs> But, so, do you, kind of getting back into just being a lawyer, do you have, like, um like a fun, not like a fun, but, like, something that sticks out to you? Because 40 years, there's had to have been something that you just think about a lot. Was there any, like, case that you did or anybody that you took care of that you can actually, like, talk about that you're like, okay, this is, this is why I love being a lawyer? Well, there's one really early on, and I think about this case every time that some little kid goes missing or they find some toddler wandering around the streets and like, oh, that mother's terrible. And I hadn't been practicing very long and I was taking appointments from juvenile court, which is what you do when you start your practice. You take appointments and, you know, you get appointed on a case and they pay you a little <coughs> bit. And this woman had a decent job, but she worked nights and her toddler got out and walked down 40 Highway. You know, and so, of course, the police are called, and here is this little kid in his diaper, and they go, and she'd fallen asleep, and he'd figured out how to get out of the house, so juvenile court had taken him away, and so I was going to help her, and we talked, and I said, it's just simply a matter of, you know, you, you might need some better locks, things like that, we talked about it, and we go into juvenile court. And the juvenile officer was being all, oh, well, this is terrible. You know, this is a terrible mother. We need to take this baby away and blah, 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 blah. And I, I asked all my questions and the commissioner leaned forward and he looked at the juvenile officer. He said, so what you're telling me is that because the child got out and ran down a busy street, that's the reason to take a child away. Yes, your honor, that's what I think. And the judge says, well, you're going to have to take my child away from me because my child got out and ran down Ward Parkway in his diaper when he was <laughs> two and a half. So that just happens, and that is not reason to take a child away. So I got her kid back for her, and I talked with her, and it come to find out she had was a single mom who had been in a kind of an awkward situation with a married man. And she didn't want to make things bad for him. I was like, wait, this married man is a, has a very good job, and he can pay you child support. So I helped her get child support. I went to the, got her the paternity test, helped her get child support, which made her life so much easier. 
And she says, I got this lump sum payment. And so she says, I'm going to take him to New York and for whale watching. Okay, that sounds great. So she brought me back a Statue of Liberty from New York. That was my souvenir. So you remember that that's been in my office for years, that little Statue of Liberty? Yeah. That's where it came from. That was, I have, I had several souvenirs that I just kept. I had a client who had a DWI and he's like, please, I need to get my license back for my, so I can ride my motorcycle to the Daytona motorcycle rally. So I got his license back and he brought me, I said, bring me back a souvenir. He brought me back a souvenir can of Harley Davidson Daytona rally beer. And I I had that sitting in my office for a while. Then I had a woman who was moving out of an apartment and they thought she was already gone so they pried the lock off and they threw all the stuff that she'd still left in the apartment that she just hadn't got to moving yet but she wasn't over her time we sued the apartment complex because she found the lock all gnarly and in the trash so I had that as a piece of evidence Mm -hmm. so that sat in my office we got her a, a good settlement so yeah I have a few things like that over the years but mainly, it's just helping people get their lives back together. I did a lot of DUI and traffic. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm retired, you guys. So don't, a- well, ask Lynn and I'll send you to my friends. I'm not not worrying about stuff anymore. I'm kind of enjoying not being responsible. But uh, also in general, just don't drink and drive, people. But anywho. Uh- <laughs> oh, please, I've seen you guys. You're out back. Well, no, not you. But the others are out back or they're drinking. And I'm like, Oh, my God, I really am worried about you all. You really, you know, call an Uber, which, you know, is a great thing. It really is in the sense now that there's really no reason for DWIs, but there are lots of them. And people's licenses get messed up really easily. So I've helped a lot of people be able to keep their jobs and take care of their families. So, yeah, it's not constitutional law, which is what I thought I would be doing, arguing in front of the Supreme Court, setting great precedent and solving the problems of the world. Instead, I'm just solving small problems, which are helping things go right. Which that I hate. I hate the phrase someone has to do it because I don't ever want to be that somebody. Uh, but without you, like there's a lot of there's a lot of broken families and I, I can't. And, like, it'll just be, like, a large, like, a bigger ripple effect, essentially, of just, like, this person's taken away or this person can't drive. And everything just ripples from that of losing a job or losing a parent. And just, it's it's very, like, not odd, but it's in the broad scheme of things, thank you. <laughs> well, you're welcome. You're welcome. And it, I made a nice living at it. I was never the most expensive lawyer in town, and I definitely was never the cheapest lawyer in town. You, you know, I've always tried to always tried to do the best I could for the people who needed help. Mm-hmm. And there are lots and lots of people who need help. And sometimes they just need somebody to listen to them as well. I can't tell you how many people I've talked out of suing. They want to sue this person. They want to sue that. But they just, they don't know where to turn and they don't know how to handle problems, you know. And so it's easier for people now if they can get on the internet and go to websites. But they still need people to talk to them and help them figure out what to do. Going back to being a mom, I need to preface this by saying uh, I think you did a wonderful job as a mom, and I'm alive, and that's cool. Uh, <laughs> is there anything that you look back on and you're just like, I wish I had done better at that? No, not really. 
Although there were times... I'm I, perfect. You heard it right here. <laughs> well, well, you know, because hindsight is twenty twenty, And when you're going through it, you're just... Being a parent is like trying to keep all the balls juggling in the air without something falling on the ground. And on behalf of mothers everywhere, I want to say, first of all, we did our very best. We meant well. And we're sorry. We're so, so sorry. But... There were times I knew there was things going on that you weren't telling me about. Mm-hmm. And I always tried to raise you to be very self-sufficient and independent. And part of that kind of backfired on me a little bit because you were trying to solve some pretty serious problems with the with girlfriends and things like that without talking to me about it. And I wish I'd been better for you to open up to but I get it I understand because there were a lot of things my mother never knew about and she never knew and eventually she might know some of them but there were a lot of things I didn't tell her I love the idea that my that grandma's been dead for 16 years and now it's just like okay she's I think we can tell her now I think it's enough time <laughs> that everything's settled that we can finally tell her. Well, she's looking down from the top of the fridge, which is where the rest of her ashes are. But she's <laughs> looking down the fridge, just like you did what? Yeah. <laughs> oh God, she would love to see her so much. Uh, yeah. No, I think she would, and I think um, I, I I'm very thankful that you guys uh, have welcomed her in because it's never I've never had any experience where it's. I've seen, like, other people's parents just hate who they're dating. You guys have loved whoever I have brought home, and I have tried your best to welcome them into the family, and uh, she feels like the first person that has actually accepted that, and uh, I, I don't know if she's listening to this right now, but again, thank you, Sierra. Cannot thank you enough for uh, putting up with this hot mess family. <laughs> yeah, well, what can I say? I love seeing your wedding ring on there. That's like proof that I did a good job, that I raised somebody who's responsible enough to get married and has someone who loves him and wants to be with him. It's like, yes, success. So... It's okay. This is proof to me that still happened. Like, okay, cool, 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 cool. It wasn't a dream. Everything's everything's still cool. I mean, I had the nerdiest vows of all time, but it's okay. It's okay. Oh, they were so funny. We laughed. I loved it. I loved it a lot. Now, uh, we're kind of getting not close to the end, but the uh, the one I always ask the guests this. You've been telling me you've been listening to them, so you kind of know what's coming. What is something that you feel like you do not get to talk about enough or that uh, doesn't get brought up enough that you want to talk about? Well, I've thought about this, and I I think it's really funny that people were canceling on you at first about this because they thought it was too much pressure to come up with this. Yes, uh, there are three people I think of every time I think of it, uh, and I have not asked them to come back, mostly because I'm scared to, but also, <laughs> also like, if, it, if it happens, I don't really run into them all that much. They're in their own different circles, and I've got enough other people that I want to talk to that if they reach out to me and we can schedule something, I'll definitely do it. But I just, well, part of it is that I I talk for a living. That's what I did for what I've done for 40 years is I talk. I explain things and I talk for a living. So that's not an issue. Um, and I have to convince people. And I've thought about it, Lynn. And I think what we need, what I want to talk about is that there are so many things going on these days that are very stressful and very frightening. 
but that you guys give me hope that there's we should be hopeful and this is funny when you got nominated for homecoming king they took a picture for the school paper and you showed us to it and i printed that out and there were 12 of you yeah and I looked at that picture, and I carried that picture around, and I showed it to everybody. I said, look at this. Look at this. Look at these 12 kids. I mean, there's there was an assortment of races. There were immigrants. There was a male cheerleader. There was a tomboy who had epileptic seizures on the softball field. I mean, it was just a, a total mix from this school. And I was just like... Oh, my God, in my day, in the high school that I went to, half of those kids would have beaten the snot out of the other half. I think you should have just transferred schools. <laughs> well, if and in my day, that school was the equivalent of Winnetonka in the Kansas City School District. I went to Northeast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a tough school. It was just what it was. And I thought, wow, this is great, you know? And you guys were not only friends, you were dating one another and hanging out together. And Don't put me in that. No, they 11 other people were dating each other. I was over there like, hey, y'all, you know Iron Man's coming out next week? <laughs> That's really cool. Did you guys get your tickets? And everyone... oh, I know. When you tell the story about why the podcast is named what it is, I'm like, oh, God, I remember <laughs> that. You were so sad for such a long time after that. But it was, yeah. But anyhow, you, God knows you tried. You tried hard. I tried so hard, and guess what? I tried way too hard. Uh, <laughs> well, that's, we, we were trying to tell you that, but you had to find that out on your own. Yeah, so, the, uh, the whole uh, teach them to be independent thing, that's what we're talking about, folks. And that blew up in my face to a way <laughs> I cannot explain. <laughs> but anyhow, your generation gives me hope that... Things are getting better. And, you know, we talk about, oh, you know, that there's there were, like, the protests during, during Black Lives Matter and all that. And, you know, all of those things are fighting against the problems that are still there. I mean, I knew about, I know about these problems because I've dealt with it with my clients. I mean, driving while black is a thing. And I've used it against prosecutors going, you know why they were stopped? Because they were up in an area where you thought they shouldn't be. And mm-hmm. so I've had to deal with that. I mean, you and Sierra were a felony in the 60s. You were, you could have been prosecuted. I mean, there's that movie Loving versus Virginia. I learned that case in school. I mean, that was not that long ago. Birth control was illegal. And for married people even, and not about the same time. So things have changed tremendously and there's a long long way to go but you guys give me hope i mean your wedding party alone was a united nations or i mean and you guys are smart i mean you got a biochemist you got a an air force it lieutenant you've got i you've got all kinds of i had to think about who the air force person was Jessica's in the Air Force, but that's a, that's not that she's in Japan, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's defending the world against cyber attacks and, and making sure things run smoothly. And your Max is, does bio research and Dexter and all the, your friends are doing great things. And your friends, I mean, there's, you're such a mix and it, 
it gives me hope and people need to remember that things get better slowly and not as fast as we want, but things are getting better. And I just hope your generation keeps it going and has more momentum. I think it will. I think it it's very fun. I love I also love the idea that the photo's still in your purse and you still show it to people like, hey, it's getting better and it's everyone's just like, This is ten years ago, Frankie. What are you doing with this? I'm like, but look at the, but look at how pretty everyone was back then. Well, I don't still carry it because I'm not carrying my big purse anymore. No, I carried that maybe for six or seven months just to remind people when they were you know, they were like, hey, you know, oh, the world's going to hell. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because it was just in there. And But now, uh, one of my favorite things to do is go, here's my son. And I show him a picture and his lovely bride. And people, you can tell people's faces, how they react to that and who they are and how they're coming from. But I I'm, I'm love her and I'm proud of her. She's beautiful inside and out. And I'm proud that I raised a person who loves people and not looking for this type of person or that type of person but that makes me happy that makes me feel like i've done a good job in life i i'm i i keep coming back to the homecoming photo just because i love the idea that everyone's like the world's going to hell and you show the photo like it's getting better and they're like we're talking about climate change frankie (laughs) well i mean what's that greta something the 13 year old who's up there scolding the united nations going you people are destroying the world and she's going around the world touring and malala and all those young young people that are trying it's we need to have hope ah greta good uh, greta the acclaimed director of barbie i cannot wait (laughs) (laughs) wrong 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 actually no that is true she is directing the barbie movie no. Yes, that is 100% true, and a Barbie girl is not in the Barbie movie, so it's not going to be good. I'll call it right now, people. <laughs> oh, I love me my Barbies. I had a lot of them. <laughs> I had to tell you to stop buying them for me, because I like the collectible Barbies. I had Barbies with homemade clothes when I was, or made with Kleenexes and things like that when I was growing up. So, I, I like those fancy Barbies. I have to return your Mother's Day gift now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still love my Wonder Woman Barbie that you got me. So, I like that. I think I, uh, I can't remember who I told, but I told them my inheritance was just going to be Barbies at one point. <laughs> and they were like, what's, are you poor? And I was like, no, I'm rich in Barbies. <laughs> That in refrigerator magnets. Yes. Uh, <laughs> which hold up the Barbies, ironically. <laughs> but, um, okay, we're kind of getting closer to the end, so uh, I always ask these questions at the end. First of all, did you have a fun time? Oh, yes. Okay. I always have fun with you. Okay, cool. Are we friends? No. Okay, that's we're, fine. And I've told you this all your life. I'm not one of your little friends. I'm your mother. That's way more than a friend. So, and I love you, and I love being your mom. It's been the best thing I've ever done. Really has been. I love the idea that everyone listening to this too, after you said no to being my friend, they're like, Oh Lisa Richard is Usually it was in the context, I'm not one of your little friends, you can't pull that on me. But I meant it. I mean there's something different. I you know, I was always worried about you being a mama's boy, because our culture hates that concept, but I mean there's there's a bond with your parents. If it's done right, and I know sometimes it's not, but it's, you know, it's more than friends. Mm. So. 
I lost, <laughs> it, I lost the thought I had. It, it was so stupid. Be like, uh, oh no, I remember now. I remember I, I think I called you. Uh, I called you Frankie one time as uh-huh. like a five year old, and I, I didn't get hit, but you definitely were like, don't ever do that. And I was like, why? Everyone calls you Frankie, and you're like. Uh, everyone gets to call me Frankie. You're the only one that gets to call me mom. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And now, like, seven to eight different people get to call you mom. And I'm like, no, you don't get to call her mom! She's only my mom! No! No! She's no one else's mom! Well, and I I think I might have put Sierra off one time because she said, she started calling me mom, and you guys weren't even engaged. And it kind of took me off, and not because of her, but because that last bad relationship, that three-year relationship that you had, she, I didn't really know, you know, what was going on, but she never called me mom, and I, you were going to move in and be married and live with her and all this, and then, boom. So part of me is going, "Mm, I don't know, I don't want to get attached to anybody, because he's just starting to date this girl, and I'm glad I'm meeting her and everything, but... It's like, okay, you know, and uh, so now she calls me Miss Frankie, which is fine. I'm great with that, or she can call me mom. She can call me any, like I told you guys the other day at when we were out to dinner. It's like, as long as she's not calling me that crazy old bitch, I'm happy. <laughs> no, that's me. <laughs> that's me in private to everybody. Like, I'm also here, y'all. <laughs> but, uh... Okay, thank you for being on this. Don't uh, you want to ask for my recommendations on who you should talk to? I think I know your recommendations, but also, uh, who is somebody that if I had them on here, you're going to listen to them no matter who uh, who who they are, but who is somebody that you think I should talk to that I would have fun with on well, here? Well, I have a friend, and his name is Stan Thomas, and he was he went on the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department in 1978 and was an African-American officer for them for years and years and years. And he is the funniest storyteller ever. I mean, he can tell stories about being in Kansas City and doing, and, you know, he's done everything. He's also been a DJ. He's got a show on KKFI on Monday mornings called Cool Oldies. And, I mean, he's retired and he's doing the things that he loves doing and they're taking bass lessons and creative writing lessons. And I think he'd be an interesting hour to listen to. So... The funniest storyteller you know, huh? Well... <laughs> who's okay. not a comic. That's fine. Who's That's not fine. a comic. That's fine. No, we... <laughs> on record now. That's fine. Everything is fine. She's not my friend. She doesn't think I'm the funniest storyteller. She knows it is fine. I said one of the funniest storytellers. (laughs) Again, uh, I love you. I love you too. Thank you for being my mom. Uh, Thank you for being my son. You've made it easy. There most is, times. There is... I know you haven't watched it yet, but there is a line in WandaVision at one point. Oh, I have watched it. Oh, okay, cool. But yeah. uh, I think about it a lot, uh, just the last couple episodes, just because I want to like sit and cry whenever I think about anything. But at one point, uh, Wanda looks at her kids and she just says, thank you for letting me be your mom. Uh, and thank you for letting me be your son. Oh, thank you for letting me be your mom. Yeah. It's been fun, and it's still fun. I'm enjoying watching you 
develop as a comic and meeting all the other comics and watching you and Sierra and if you guys decide to have family other than cats, which I love your kitties, they're fun and I think it's funny that everybody's listening to your cats, wants to hear updates and pictures and stuff. But if you guys have kids, I'll look forward to that. How mad would you be if I told you you're going to be a grandma right now? Mad? Yeah. I wouldn't be mad. Okay, cool. You're not going to be. No. Not anytime soon. I just thought it'd be funny to tell you on the podcast, like, hey, you're going to be a grandma. But no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Not anytime soon. Not anytime soon. But uh, as always, thank you all for lis- for listening. This has been a special mom pod. Uh, again, uh, you have a lot of options, and I'm happy that you picked this podcast to listen to. As always, I have been Lynn Navertel. And I'm Lynn's mom, Frankie. Frankie <laughs> Wood! Frankie Wood! I need to find you on uh, lawyers. <laughs> Lawyers.com? I don't no, know. No, no, no. No, they don't. No, they don't. No, they don't. If they need help, they talk to you, and I'll find them somebody to take care of them. Lynn's mom. I'm Lynn's mom. Okay, Since yep. the day you were born, I've become Lynn's mom. Okay, perfect. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, like I said, you have a lot of options. Thank you for listening. We love you. Bye! Bye!